In the years gone by, the streets of Dublin contained a shared sound. Across the city, a common buzz filled the air. From early morning to late evening, the sounds of children chasing a football over the cobbled streets could be heard across the fair old town. Cries for my ball and the desperate claims for a foul were occasionally heard amongst the stampede of feet and the thud of a leather ball being forced around corners and off the walls of houses. As the sun settled on the city and bid farewell until its arrival in the morrow, mothers could be heard shouting for their children lost to the magic of sport. As the summer evenings allowed children to flirt with the idea of staying out longer, the sweat from their brows bed into their eyebrows and onto their cheeks. The dirt on their skin from the hard lives they endured was for a moment interrupted by the sweat of joy and not hardship. It was within these moments life was forgotten and, by paradox, enjoyed. It was on these streets a legend was born. This is his story. In 16 Mabel Street, Dublin, in 1887, a child was born. His name was Patrick O'Connell. Patrick was from a very working-class family doing their best to make ends meet. At the age of just 14, Patrick began working in Boland's Mill. It was a tough and gruelling place to work, particularly for a child. But needs must and Patrick went to work every day without complaint and earned what he could while he could. When the working day came to an end, Patrick would rush home to ensure he could take part in the all-out football matches that would take place on the streets outside his home. The games were tough. The children of Dublin were hard-working people and they found football a great way to release their tension from the day. With endless energy, they played until they were forced home. It was on these streets that Patrick became known as a tough tackling defender. On the hard city streets, he would lunge into last minute tackles and regardless of what batterings his leg might take, he would more often than not come away with the ball. Seeing his ability to stop an attack without concern for his personal safety, Patrick was encouraged by his friends to join them in playing for a local team on a regular basis. Patrick agreed and he joined Rohini club Frankfurt FC before transferring to Stanville Rovers and then Liffey Wanderers in Ringsend. 
Liffey Wanderers was close to his job in the mills and saving on the journey from work to football was now of great importance to him. This was because when Patrick turned just 15 years old he was made a foreman in the mill. It was whilst playing with Liffey Wanderers that Patrick was approached by a scout. The scout was from a professional team based in Belfast known as Belfast Celtic on the Falls Road. He explained to Patrick that he believed that Patrick had a real gift for the sport and he saw a great deal of potential in the young boy from Dublin. Patrick discussed the move at home. It was a risk to leave a relatively steady job where he was progressing in order to take a chance at a career which could end at any moment. Given that opportunities to leave the world of the mills were few and far between, Patrick agreed to join the scout and go to Belfast. He joined Belfast Celtic and over four years Patrick became a key figure in the team's defence. He acted like a wall in front of goal and only the brave would take him on in a tackle. During his time in Belfast, Patrick met a woman and they married and together they had a son named Dan. Patrick's performances soon gained attention from the clubs in England. Scouts came to watch the tough, no-nonsense man in the heart of defence. The scouts also grew interested in Patrick's teammate, left-back Peter Warren. Sheffield Wednesday convinced Belfast Celtic to accept a bid of £50 for both of the defenders and Patrick left Ireland in order to try and forge a career in the top leagues in England. Patrick brought his wife and son with him on the new adventure. Patrick's first season was slow and he had to wait until the end of the season to make his first appearance in the English top flight. While his time in Sheffield failed to live up to the hype he had created in Belfast, he did manage to represent Ireland twice, at the time when Ireland was represented by a single team. In the three years Patrick spent with Wednesday, he made just 21 first team appearances. He was sold to the second division team Hull City in March 1912. Hull had a vacancy for a central defender and Patrick slotted right in. With Hull, Patrick established himself as one of the top defenders in the English game. Over two seasons he played 58 times for Hull and played three more times for Ireland. He even captained the Irish team on occasion. Whilst playing for the 32-county Irish team while Ireland was entirely under British rule, 
Patrick captained Ireland to victory in the British Home Championship. Patrick led Ireland to a 2-1 win against Wales, delivered Ireland's first away victory against England with a 3-0 win and then produced a heroic performance in a 1-1 draw with Scotland. Heroic because Patrick played the full game after breaking his arm in the early stages. Such was Patrick's growing reputation that soon Manchester United came calling. In May 1914, Patrick was sold by Hull for £1,000 to the Giants of Manchester, a near world record fee at the time. In his first season with United, he was installed as club captain. He was the first Irishman to attain this honour. This was largely down to his influence on the field and the bravery he showed when fighting for his team. Three months after his journey in Manchester began, World War I erupted into its horrific glory in Europe. The war wasn't expected to last very long, so the football season continued. This expectation couldn't have been further from how the reality played out. As the war raged on, more and more people got dragged from their homes and sent to their slaughter. With supporters and players being taken and sent to charge into the depths of hell and stadiums being targeted for bombings, the likelihood of sport continuing grew dimmer and dimmer. On April 2nd, 1915, Patrick's Manchester United were to play Liverpool. Liverpool were mid-table and United were struggling with the potential of relegation. United were listed as 7-1 to beat Liverpool 2-0. The game began like any other, but soon the crowd began to notice that the mistakes being made were a bit sloppier than usual. Some of the displays were very uncharacteristic of those on the field. United won the game 2-0 and almost instantly an investigation began. It turned out that three United players and four Liverpool players had fixed the game. Their reasoning was that with the war looking to end sport in England, they had to do something to ensure they were able to feed their families in the months and years to come. The players involved received lifetime bans. Thankfully, Patrick was not found guilty of any offence and continued his career. United avoided relegation that season, but the players who remained professionals were tainted by what had happened. As was feared, the war ended sport for a time in England and Patrick was requested for the war effort. He went to London to work in a munitions factory. 
Whilst in London, he lived with his brother Larry. Larry was a man of great character. He was a part-time opera singer, a devout Catholic and a great lover of women. Larry was not only a man of character, he was a man with a great inner belief and strength. He even managed to successfully sue the British government for discrimination against him for being Irish as he tried to get a job in the civil service. When the war ended, Patrick's contract with United expired and tainted by the betting scandal he found it difficult to find a new club, regardless of his stature in the game. Second tier Scottish side Dumbarton offered Patrick a contract and although it was far below his standard, with a family to feed and no income, he had to accept their offer. He played a single season with Dumbarton before moving on to Ashington in the lower leagues of England. In Patrick's second season with Ashington, he was appointed as player manager. Patrick led Ashington through their first season in the professional leagues in England and finished with a very impressive 10th place finish. At the end of the season, Patrick felt he had a real ability as a manager and the opportunity arose to join Racing Santander in Spain. The issue of the betting scandal against Liverpool was not a major issue in Spain and his ability as a player as well as his debut managerial season had created a good reputation for him. Patrick's wife and four children remained in England as he went to Spain. The plan may have been for him to earn a living and send money home, but as time went on, Patrick lost more and more contact with his family and eventually they became strangers to one another. With Racing Santander, Patrick is recognised as one of the men who revolutionised the game in Spain. He built his team on two main factors. Fitness and tactics. Racing Santander quickly became experts in retaining the ball from opposition teams and winning it back almost instantly should they lose it in attack. Patrick was well liked by his players as he became known as a very warm and charismatic man. In his seven years with Racing, Patrick won five regional titles and he became one of the founding members of the top flight league in Spain, La Liga. Seeking a new challenge, Patrick left Racing to take over Real Oviedo in the second tier league in Spain. This second stint in management in Spain was unremarkable for the most part and while he and his players had a good relationship, it wasn't the club for Patrick.
After a two-year stint in charge of Real Oviedo, he left them to join Real Betis. It was with Real Betis that Patrick became known as one of the greats. In his first season with the club, they won promotion to the top division in Spain. Three years later, they fought against all odds and remarkably won the top tier. To this day, this achievement is the club's only La Liga championship win. The title win came in a 5-0 victory over Patrick's former club, Racing Santander. This victory stole the title from Real Madrid. There were rumours at the time that Patrick had met with his former team the night before and they were not keen on helping Madrid win the title over their former manager and friend. Patrick returned home to Dublin for a holiday at the end of that season. Whilst out on the streets where his football career began and where he learned his trade, he received a contract from FC Barcelona. They wanted him to take control of their great club. Patrick was quick to accept their offer given the legendary status of the club and the players he would be working with. In his first season at Barcelona, he went head-to-head -head with Real Madrid on every front. Although their rivalry as football clubs was relatively fresh, Patrick was the man leading the Catalan club in the fight against the team from Spain's capital. That season, the battle ended with a 2-1 victory for Madrid over Patrick's Barcelona in the Campeonat de Catalunya and the Copa de España final. Patrick's team began the following season at a great pace, looking to take back the titles to Catalonia from Madrid. Before the season really began, however, the Spanish Civil War had broken out and the Spanish world spun into an almighty mess. The league was suspended. Patrick and the club's directors decided that Barcelona was a club for the Catalan people and they refused to enter into the competition set up by the state. To do so would have caused great hurt to those fighting for the independence of Catalonia. They decided to keep FC Barcelona playing in the local Catalan competitions. The war intensified and the non-Spanish players who had gone home for a holiday were asked by the club not to return for their own safety. Patrick was in Dublin on a holiday and he rejected the club's advice. When he returned to Barcelona, as a result of the decisions the club were making, the Barcelona president, Joseph Sonyol, 
was arrested by the pro-Franco forces and executed. With the president dead, key players abroad and playing in an amateur league, FC Barcelona began to look at the very real possibility of closing the club for good. With bankruptcy inevitable, the Catalan people came to terms with the idea that not only would the war kill their friends and family, destroy their homes and cause great pain, when life was to resume, their beloved football club would no longer be there to distract them from the pain of the world. As the club began to look at closing its doors for good, a Catalan businessman by the name of Manuel Mas Soriano invited the club to tour his new home country of Mexico. In Mexico, he had made a new life for himself and earned a lot of money. The socialist government of Mexico were anti-Franco and had no issue with Barcelona touring their nation. Patrick was key in getting the plan together to go to Mexico. He rounded up all his players and convinced them to back the idea. Few were sceptical but they believed in Patrick's words. In 1937, Patrick and his team left Barcelona by boat, careful not to be caught by the Spanish military. Patrick had written to the other players who had stayed away and they all met in Mexico to begin a six-game tour in the hope of saving FC Barcelona. The games went well and were all sellouts, but it wasn't enough to keep the club alive. Patrick and others looked to New York where he knew there was enough Spanish and Irish immigrants who were doing well and who loved sport. He wrote to the major clubs there and took his team to play four more games. They played against Brooklyn Hispano, Hispano St. Mary's Celtic, the American League Stars and the Jewish All-Stars. Patrick had extended what was meant to be a two-week tour into a two-month tour. As well as being successful for his team and players, Patrick also managed to get staff who were not safe in Catalonia away to safety in America. For example, the club's groundsman was listed as a physio so that he could escape the war with the team. After the two months, Barcelona's time in the Americas was up and they were to return home. The tour was a massive success both on and off the field. They had raised enough funds to keep the club going for another while at least and had created a new worldwide fan base to keep the club going for many years to come. When they were due to leave New York, Many of the players ran away and began life as illegal immigrants in America 
in order to avoid the war at home. When the club stopped in France on the way back, more ran away there too. Of the original touring party, just Patrick, three other staff members and four players returned to Spain. With his squad and staff now depleted, but with the club saved to make it through the war, Patrick left his role as Barcelona manager. He went on to manage Seville for three years, taking the team to a second place finish in the La Liga in his first season. He then returned to where it all started for him in Spain, Racing Santander, and he managed the club for another two years. After this role, he left management and sport and faded into an ordinary life. In 1954, his old club, Real Betis, heard that Patrick was having severe financial issues. They organised a tribute match for him to try and raise funds for the man who delivered their only top flight title. The following year, Patrick's son, Dan, tried to track down his lost father. He entered a pub in Dublin where the Spanish team were drinking. He asked if anyone had heard of Patrick O'Connell. He was surprised to hear that his father was a legend of Spanish football. They explained to him, should he go to Seville, he would have no issue in locating him. Dan did just that and he found Patrick. The reunion was not a positive experience and the relationship which had diminished during Dan's childhood ended altogether. In the years that followed, Patrick, now broke, returned to his brother's house in London. He lived in his attic for a few years and died totally penniless from pneumonia. He was buried on Kensal Road. Today, a bust of Patrick's head is on display in the Real Betis Stadium to thank the man for bringing them their greatest success. There is also a bust of the man who saved FC Barcelona in the Barcelona Museum. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan Isanam Dum, Gurav Mahakut. Slán